What's up, coaches? You're tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the men in the trenches. And this is episode number 44. As we get ready to close out January, clinic season is in full swing. We just got back from the DFW clinic this past weekend, which was a lot of fun. Picked up some great stuff and, and got to reconnect with some coaching buddies of mine. But, you know, hey, if clinics aren't your thing or if you just aren't able to get away to one this offseason, no worries because we have you covered with outstanding content and episodes that not only cover the defensive line, but secondary play, four down and odd front schemes, game planning, breaking down opponents, building a culture, and, and a whole lot more. So, uh, and, and those are coming from both college and high school coaches alike. So whatever you're doing this over the next several months to grow as a coach, make sure you include KYPD and take us along with you throughout the offseason. I want to thank you, the listeners, for checking us out every week. Uh, coach Foskey's episode from this past week did really, really well as did the two episodes before that. So it's been a great 2020 already for, for this podcast, and that's that's all good stuff, and that's all thanks to you guys who uh, check us out every week. So uh, our plan is to keep this thing rolling and keep on bringing, bringing on great guests and, and, and cover topics that are relevant to you. And, and with that being said, if you have any input as far as coaches you want to hear from or topics you want us to cover, well, let us know. You can DM us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast, or you can email us at KYPD Podcast at gmail.com. Now, with all of that being said, let's get to today's guest, our first episode in a series of episodes where we're going to be featuring high school coaches whose teams won a state championship in 2019. And today's coach has not one, but two rings to his name and is a part of a great program there in Oklahoma, and is incidentally our first high school coach from the other side of the Red River, but I would guess that he won't be our last because, as many of you know, there are a ton of great coaches in the state of Oklahoma and a lot of great football being played there as well. So with that being said, I am honored to welcome Coach Paul Croft, defensive line coach at Owasso High School, on the podcast today. Coach Croft grew up in Spiro, Oklahoma, and actually, this is interesting, started out pursuing a career in law enforcement before he got into coaching. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Hey, what's the difference between those two professions, right? And if we're being honest, sometimes there's not much of one, at least from what we can tell. Anyway, Coach Croft actually broke into coaching at his alma mater there at Spyro, where he spent 14 years doing just about everything while he was there, including being the defensive coordinator and the head baseball coach. From Spyro, Coach Croft moved on to Broken Arrow High School, where he remained from 2013 to 2016, and coached the, where he coached the defensive line before heading over to Owasso in 2017 to be the D-line coach there for the Rams. The Rams won a state championship in 2017 and then won another 6A Division I title this past season in 2019, finishing with a perfect record of 13-0. Today, Coach Croft and I talk about a few things that they are doing at Owasso that he feels like have played a pivotal role in their success over the last few seasons. And then we break down the Rams' four-down front and the various techniques that go along with, with that. And we also touch on how Owasso transitions from four-down to a three-down front, depending on what type of offense they're facing that week. Coach Croft has a ton of knowledge and wisdom to pass on to us today which is no doubt a big part of the reason why the Rams have won two of the past three state championships there in what is a tough division of football uh, uh, in the Tulsa area of Oklahoma. So here we go. Let's jump right into today's episode with Coach Paul Croft on KYPD. Coach Croft, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. And, uh, man, I absolutely love what you're doing with this and, and making connection with these D-line coaches. It's it's a great deal, and I appreciate it. Well, Coach, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun, and, and, and a big reason 
uh, why it is so much fun is being able to talk to, to guys like yourself and learn from you. And so um, we're going to we, we got a lot of stuff to cover today. But, you know, before before we get too far into the football stuff, you know, you have a really interesting journey uh, into coaching that doesn't that's not going to sound like a lot of our our journey. So let, let's start there. Start up by telling us, you know, how you jumped into coaching and, and, and how all that started. Well, I got into coaching, um, it was about 1999, but before then, um, when I graduated from college, I had every intent to be an education major and get into coaching, um, but somewhere around 1990 or 91, I started watching this program called COPS, and I went over and switched my major before I knew what was going on and switched over to uh, criminal law, and uh, so when I ended up graduating from college, I ended up going to work for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, in El Reno, Oklahoma, and later transferring out to um, uh, FCI Memphis. And so I did that for almost five years uh, before I, I found my way back into coaching. And so, you know, the one good thing I think came out of working at the Federal Bureau of Prisons is in that structure, you have to follow rules and procedures and do things right or people get hurt. And so with that aspect of it, as far as, you know, leading guys and, and telling them where they had to be and things to do, um, that kind of got me ready to go into coaching. It, it sounds kind of funny, but I tell them all the time, working in the federal prison got me ready to go to high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so talk to us about, you know, where the moment when you realized, all right, this isn't what I want out of my life, and you decided to, again, uh, um, switch up. Uh, the course uh, of the, uh, or the direction of your life and, and, and switch courses there and jump into coaching. Where, when did that happen? Well, I, like I said, I always thought I wanted to do that. Um, and a lot of that came back from my high school days. Um, when I was a sophomore, we were fortunate to hire the guy that I'm working for now, which was Coach Blankenship. And when he came in, he brought in a, another coach with him, Coach Garner, and a few of the other coaches stayed over. But just watching those guys and, you know, at an early age, um, and it's nothing that they did necessarily every day, but just watching how they went about their business and how they handled their family. And, and uh, you know, Coach Blaney said leading that role, just, I, I just kind of wanted to do that. And so um, it was always in the back of my head um, to want to do that. In Oklahoma, they passed the deal, and I'm sure most states have it now is you could get your alternative certificate if you have a bachelor's degree and you've worked a little bit out in the, you know, the public. And so um, about 1999, I got a call from one of my coaches that was still on staff here at Spyro and said, hey, we're, we're looking for some coaches. If you're interested in coming back, you can take this test. And so I, I signed up, took the test and, and passed it and um, was fortunate to get hired uh, back in my hometown of Spyro, Oklahoma, back in 1999. And had never coached it down, but always knew that I wanted to do it, uh, you know, stayed around it, officiated and did those kind of things. And so it was just kind of a blessing getting to go back home and, and get into coaching. So from Spyro, uh, you were going back home and, and you jumped into coaching there. How long were you there? And then and what other stops have you made uh, so far in your coaching career? Well, I, I, when I got back to Spyro, I was there for uh, 14 years. And it was kind of funny when they hired me, they go like, you're going to be the defensive coordinator. And I'm going, uh, okay, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> and never really coached or done anything. And so you talking about a learning curve right off the bat, man, I had to get busy and, and, you know, we didn't have a lot of this technology that we have now. And so, it, I mean, I was going and talking to whoever would talk and I didn't care what level of school it was. And so, uh, you know, I got in it and uh, just kind of learned as I went and kind of, you know, kept things alight. And, and it was uh, it was interesting, to say the least. And, uh, you know, when you go to a small school like that, you do more than just football. So I was track coach. I was girls basketball coach. I was the head baseball coach and head middle school. So I had a lot of things going and just kept you busy. So you just you realize, you, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to keep going. And so. Um, you know, it, it was interesting there, but uh, stayed there for about 14 years before I get, was fortunate enough to get um, hired at uh, Broken Arrow High School, which is the largest high school in the state of Oklahoma. So I go from a school that's about 280 kids up to a school that's got, you know, 5,200 kids in it right now. Yeah. And yeah. 
that was uh that was a little frightening um stepping up to something like that but man i'm glad i did and you know i was there for about four years under coach Spapdal. he's the one who hired me and you know his boys are the the coaches down at texas state uh jake as the head coach i believe it is and you know uh learned a ton of football while i was there and uh was like i said fortunate that david alexander kept me on staff when Spab retired and uh and from there, um, you know, we played for a state championship in the semifinals and, um, you know, Jinx beat us there in 2015 and uh, really enjoyed my time and learned. And then 2017, my old high school coach, Coach Blankenship, called and, and wanted to know if I wanted to come over to Owasa with him. And, man, I jumped on that opportunity right off the bat. And so um, just finishing up my third year there at Owasso and, uh, of course, they're the, the – fourth or fifth biggest school in the high school here in Oklahoma. So that was kind of my journey um, where I've been so far as coaching. Looking back now, uh, what advice would you give to young coaches starting out or guys who are uh, maybe thinking about getting into coaching and they're not really sure and they're sort you know, they're, they're trying to figure out if that's something they want to do. What advice would you give those guys? Well, for the young coaches getting in it, um, you know, I, I've seen a trend here and like I said, I've been in it just long enough. Um, I've seen a trend where these guys want to come in immediately and be the offense or defensive coordinator or the special teams coordinator or, um, you know, have a big role of that, that stature. And what I would say is go find a middle school uh, and learn how to coach kids and learn how to run a program and, and just take your time getting, you know, moving up because I'll promise you, you get an education, you're not going to make a ton of money and you're going to be in it for 30, 35 years before you can retire. So, you know, just kind of pump the brakes a little bit, start out at the, at the middle school, junior high level and, and go volunteer on the varsity staff and just take in everything that you can take in. Um, you'll, you'll see um, a lot of coaches go and come during that time and, and, and just learn and soak up what you can and, and find coaches that you trust and, um, you know, that that would be one of the biggest things I would tell young coaches coming in. Yeah, Coach, I, I know I've used this quote uh, on this podcast before, but, you know, everybody likes a good story, but no one wants to be a part of one, you know. Um, mm -hmm. they, we hear your story about how you went back to your hometown and, and you wore, you know, 30 different hats and you're coaching all these different sports and, and it was it was chaotic and, and you jumped right in and, and you're calling a defense and that wasn't necessarily something you were seeking out. But then it's sometimes it's tough for, for for young coaches to assume that and to to understand that and to get that and, and I think that's great advice and because there's so much uh, groundwork that you need to develop as a coach before you just jump in and and start calling a defense and things that you don't even know that you don't know and so that's great advice uh, for those guys. Uh, let, let's talk about Owasso uh, for a second. You guys won a state championship in 2017 yeah. and then and then won it again. Uh, this past season, 2019. So uh, obviously, you guys are a uh, a, a successful program and, and have been. So talk to us about some things that, that your staff has done that has helped your program be so successful over the last few years. Well, the one thing I, that that I would say is the leadership of our head football coach. Um, it's very clear that he is in charge and that he has got the program set up the way that he wants it to run. He's a guy that trusts his coordinators. He makes those hires, and then the coordinators are a part of getting the staff put together. And, you know, such a, a trust level there that that he gives to the coordinators for the assistant coaches. And I'd say that's the big thing of any program that you go into. If, if the leader knows where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to get there and has that vision, then it makes it a lot easier to do. And if your coordinators are bought in on it and your assistant coaches are bought in on it, then that makes it easier to sell to the kids. And so, you know, that's, um, I think that's the big thing that has happened at Owasso. And plus, you know, we just lost our defensive coordinator, but up until this point, we really hadn't had a big coaching turnover in our staff. And so consistency was the biggest thing for the last three years. They've heard the same message from, all the coaches on staff and you know our kids just bought into it and and just played and showed up every day for practice to try to get better you talked about the leadership of your head coach can can you get uh specific and, and talk about some things 
you know, I'm, I know you mentioned you know, he empowers the coordinators and everybody's on the same page and you know, understand what the vision is and everyone's pulling in the same direction. What are some things specifically that he does on a day-to-day basis that to demonstrate his strong leadership? Well, I just, I remember our, one of our first staff meetings that we set out in as a staff and he kind of used the analogy that I'm going to give you this set of keys for this car. Okay. And I want you to take care of that car for me. And if you don't take care of the car and keep the oil changed and keep the tires rotated and all that good stuff that goes with maintaining the car, then, you know, at the end of the year, I want my keys back. And so, you know, that really hit home with a lot of us that, Hey, we get to run our own. We're really our own head coach in our position meetings. Um, you know, coach is not sitting there looking over our shoulder and, and making sure that this is getting done and this is getting done because you, you'd be able to tell out on the practice building, especially on game days, if it's not getting done. And so, just him enabling us to do our jobs um, and being there as a resource because you know, he, he was the head football coach at, at the highest level here in Oklahoma and also was a division one head football coach at the university of Tulsa. And so he, he, he gets it, he understands it and he just allows us to go to work. And he's also there for that sounding board because, you know, we can call him in, he's an offensive guy. But we can call him in over on the defense side and say, hey, what do you what's, what do you think they're trying to do here offensively? And he was like, well, they're setting you up for this down the road. And, and you know, and he's spot on with it. So those are some of the things that he, he has done for us. He allows us to coach, and he is a resource there for us uh, on and off the field as well. Can you point to a specific thing that you think separates your program from uh, from other programs, from guys that you play? Is there is there one or two things that, that y'all do differently or that you think that might be unique uh, to your program that helps you be so successful? Well, I, I think one of the things that we do that is so great at Owasso is uh, we, we have uh, Rex Blankenship that's on our staff, and he is kind of um, like our staff chaplain, and we mentor into our kids. We call them M&M groups, monitoring and mentoring. And so every week the coaches get a chance to visit with the kids and talk to them about a specific work that we have for the week, whether it's character or selflessness or, you know, toughness, whatever our word is for that week, we get to speak that into them. But also uh, Rex Blankenship is also there for us to be that spiritual guy that's on our staff as well and our encourager for our kids on a daily basis. And, um, you know, to me, that, that kind of takes it to the next level when it's more than just about football, that we truly do care what happens to our kids and making sure that we feed into them as young men that are fixing to go out into the world where they're going to have to be a great student, a great community um, leader, you know, a dad, a husband. You know, you hear that a lot from a lot of coaches, but we truly do that with our kids and try to pour into them as much as we can off the football field as much as we do on the football field. You guys, as I mentioned earlier, you won a state championship in 2017 uh, before winning another one this past season. How different or what was the difference about this year's run from from the one in 17 as far as team dynamic, practice habits, game plan? Because we all know that each year, uh, you know, the team is different, has a little bit different dynamic, different leaders. So what were the differences between those two runs looking back on them? Well, when we come in in 17, it was a fresh crew. Um, I think there was a couple of holdovers from the last staff that was there. I think maybe three coaches. But in 17, when we came in, we had some great players on the team. And, you know, we, we had Josh Proctor, who is at Ohio State right now. We had Wayne Jones that's at Kansas State. And those guys are playing. We had um, uh, Cortre Alexander that ended up going to the University of Arkansas as a defensive lineman that was about 6'5", 265, 270, that could just play. Uh, we had uh, Carson Crop, that's a linebacker at Oklahoma State. So we had some talent on the team. Uh, when we got there, they were banged up and, and injured for most of 16. And so we, when, when it all was said and done, we had some good players. And the staff that we put together came in that, you know, it was on fire. We were kind of getting used to each other, and, and it was an exciting time. And, you know, we opened up the season on the road at Tinks with a big win. And if you know anything about Oklahoma, Jinx and Tulsa Union are the top programs around. And so right. when we beat those guys opening up the season 17, that just kind of sold it to our kids that, hey, this coaching staff kind of knows what they're doing. And, and they just bought in from there. And we had great players um, and went on a run into the year 12-1 with the state championship. 
Um, and then we had some other, you know, some guys that were just gritty players that played, you know, along with those big name guys. Yeah. And I think what helped us this year kind of leads back to last year a little bit. We, we were playing a bunch of young kids that had to fill in for all those guys that left. Again, we had a little bit of an injury bug. And so we got, I mean, got a ton of kids in, in playing on 2018. And at the end of the year, we played in the semifinal against Broken Arrow, which is the biggest school in the state. And they ended up beating us 10 to 7. And we just kind of stepped back as staff and said, we got all these kids coming back and we have a chance to be really good. Yeah. And so when we get into 2019, sure enough, all these kids are, are out here. And, you know, we open up with Benton, our, um, uh, yeah, Bentonville West over in Arkansas. And it's one of those tough deals where it's a, uh, you know, battling back and forth and we end up winning that game. And so our kids was like, okay, we've kind of got this. And so, um, we, we, we just kept grinding with it. But one of the big things I think was a little different this uh, year as well was we decided, Hey, we don't have the, the, the backup numbers. We've got a bunch of good young kids coming as well, but we need to get these guys to Friday night. So one of the things that we did differently this year, was we went to what we call a no sweat Wednesday. So, you know, Monday we come out and we do our practice, our pods and all that stuff. Tuesday, same thing, short shoulder pads, helmets. But on Wednesday, we came out in helmets only, kind of did a walkthrough on Wednesday, uh, our, our line and sign and all that good stuff, our adjustments. And then Thursday we came back and put the pads and helmet on and kind of picked it up a little bit to get going on Friday. And so, I think that was one of the big difference compared to 17. We practiced and got after it hard every day. Uh, in 19, we kind of took it off them a little bit to bring it back towards the end. And our kids really bought into it. And, and, and we kind of just told them, you know, hey, as long as this works and as long as you guys know how to handle it, we'll continue to do it. And the kids loved it. It was great. It got us through practice fairly quick on Wednesday. And sure enough, you know, we stayed pretty much well healthy the whole year yeah. this year. Yeah. other than our running backs. So, yeah, yeah, that's coach. kind of a little bit of the difference. Yeah, I like that, Coach. Uh, you're talking about, you know, uh, No Sweat Wednesday. We did it. We did something very similar uh, this year as well. Uh, this is my first year at, at, at Pleasant Grove, so it was kind of new for me. But, uh, yeah, we would practice Wednesday morning before school. Most of the time we're practicing, you know, starting in, the, in, in our athletic period at the end of the day and then going in after school. But Wednesdays uh, we would practice in the morning before school, uh, with just helmets and and get it all out of the way and, and do a lot of sounds like what y'all were doing you know, a lot of uh, a lot of thinking stuff and a lot of polishing up the game plan and then we'd go do some tempo and do some some you know do some blitz uh, blitzes on air and stuff like that and it just really felt like uh, when you and then we came back Thursday in full pads and did a did a, a quick practice then. And, and I really liked it. And I felt like it kind of gave us a chance to catch our breath in the middle of the week. And our, and, and mm-hmm. I felt fresher. I, I, I know our kids did and I did. And I, I really liked that. And that, that sounds like, you know, that's something that's, that's uh, I've seen other programs doing as well. And something that's really smart. Well, I think, you know, anytime you can change it up because kids, when they come in as a sophomore, they can get a little stagnant to what you're doing. If you keep the same thing going over and over. And as coaches, we try to change up a little bit. And so that was a, a nice uh, change up to what we had been doing. And like I said, our kids bought into it um, and it really paid off for us this year. Now I don't know if we'll do it next year or not, but uh, I know it worked this year with the guys that we had. And, yeah. and like you said, you were really uh, a little more rejuvenated towards the end of the week and, and the kids were looking forward to getting after it. So yeah. Yeah. It, it worked well for us this year. So we talked about some differences between 17 and then and then 19. What what things remain the same, and, and what things you know are those 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 uh, you know non-negotiables? Those things that you're going to keep consistent no matter whether you're playing in a state championship or not. What things remain the same from 17's run and, and, and this year's run? Well, the first big thing is we kept our staff together. And of course, you know as well as anything is, is if you can keep your staff together and you know each other then you can kind of put more things in and go a little faster in fall camp to get to where you need to be. And so that was a big part of uh, last year as well. And I think some of the things that are non-negotiable for us at Owasso is you're always going to give tremendous effort. You're always going to be on time and you're going to, you know, we're going to make sure that we're going a hundred miles an hour, that we're getting lined up right, that we're going to correct things and, 
and Coach Blankenship tells them all the time, it's okay to make a mistake, but let's fix it and not make it again. And so if they make it going 100 miles an hour, uh, then we're fine with that. And our theory is we're going to stress them as much as we can during practice. So when we get there on Friday nights, they're not stressed any more than they were during the week. And so, right. you know, with us, we've got five or six coaches on both sides of the ball, and we're just, you know, we're after them all the time, whether it's in individual periods or whether it's an inside run or it's team or whatever we're doing, we are trying our best to stress them as much as we can during the yeah. week in practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> when you got a 16-year-old kid, you know, I had a defensive tackle that was – 15 years old and didn't turn 16 until after the season was over with, but he's about 6'2", 275 pounds and can play. And when you're stressing that young man out during the middle of the week, I promise you on Saturday, on Friday nights, it's not near as bad out on the yeah, field. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, I think, such a crucial thing. And I think sometimes – I know, because I know I, I've I've done this. You know, I've worked for two uh, outstanding defensive coordinators uh, that that both get this. You know, stress the kids and, and put them under pressure so that they can perform on Friday night. And you know, sometimes, especially like on a Thursday, man, you just want to feel good about your game plan. You know, mm-hmm. you want to you want to feel good about it, or maybe even on a Wednesday practice, you want to feel good about what you're doing and. It's really tempting to just try to throw some stuff in there. You know, if I'm putting the inside script together, throw some stuff in there that's a little, you know, some softballs that that you know that they're gonna they're gonna respond well to. But you know, I think that, that if you can fight that and just say, you know what, today's probably gonna be they're they're gonna screw some crap up today. But I'd rather yeah. them screw it up today and we answer the questions today than Friday night because that is true. You know, if if you can make it chaotic during the week and get that stuff worked out. Then, then Friday night is that much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we're fortunate. We have music blaring during practice. Yeah. And so, you know, they're wanting to concentrate on that. They're concentrating on us. They're concentrating on getting lined up. And so if we can get all that stuff messed together. And, and that was one of the neat things about our defensive line this year. We only had two penalties where we jumped off sides all year long. Wow. And the same kid did it twice. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, we just stress it. Well, coach, let's talk about your defensive front there at Owasso. Y'all are uh, y'all are a four-man front, but you're also within your scheme. You have the capability of being multiple. So let's talk about that and what you like about it and how y'all are operating out of that scheme. Well, yeah, like I said, we're a four-man front. Um, the, the thing that I love about a four-man front is it's more uh, going along with stopping the run, in my opinion. And so, you know, most defenses, that's your first and, and – you know, that's your first priority is to stop the run. So if you can do that, then, you know, you move on to the passing game and, and deal with that side of it. But the four-man front, you know, we, we can do, like I said, a lot of things out of that. But I call it more – we're more of an under front to where we'll put our nose and our end to the field and we'll put our three technique and our viper to the boundary. Um, and we have a group of kids that travel. Uh, we've got five that travel together to the boundary and six that travel to the field. And so with that four-man front, you know, we can go from the under front to a heads, a heads look to an over front, which we call a field front, just in a matter of just sliding. Right. And so we can get three different looks right quick just out of that. And so – and it's also good, I think, in, in 11 personnel and, and, and 21 personnel and, and all that, you know, that you can get your gaps covered a lot better – with that four man front. So, um, and with us, we're going to move and stem and we're not going to be where we're at when we put our hand on the ground and the ball snaps. So whether we're moving to an over and under front or to a head front and slanting or cross facing or, you know, short sticking, long sticking, um, of course that's all determined on, you know, the weekend, but it allows you to do so much up front. And the thing that I love about a four man front, uh, it allows us to get vertical right now in four gaps. And so if you can get vertical and cause problems in the backfield, that solves a lot of issues. And if we can make them bounce or bubble or whatever, then that gives our safeties and our backers a chance to get there. Yeah, Coach, let's, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions just about that and, and just to, so I, I can understand how you are doing things there. So uh, from, your, from your, 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 uh, your four down front, how are you handling things like gap scheme? How are you how are you doing that with your ends? Are you all spilling that? Are you boxing that? How how are you doing that? We spill we spill everything. Um, we try to get underneath it. Um, you know, 
I, I don't like boxing things because if you get kicked and you're vertical right now, it's your run game. And so uh, we, we just, we spill it all whether, you know, you're pulling for counter or you're pulling for uh, pin and pull or whatever, if we can get underneath it. And a lot of kids, and we have to work this a lot because when they go to rip it, you know, sometimes they miss and, and you just take yourself out of the play if, yeah. if you're, if you're trying to spill it. And so we want to try to aim at the middle of that chest and really have that hard collision and, and try to get to the inside of it. But, um, we, we see a little bit of gap scheme stuff with a couple of teams we have, but a lot of, a lot of teams that we face are more of a outside zone, um, stretch type play and, you know, and the jet sweep stuff. But we, we do play a few teams that try to run the power, you know, and things of that nature and counter and, and gap scheme stuff. So when you're, you're playing uh, these outside zone teams and, and, and things like that, what are you coaching up your guys to do as far as playing those, you know, playing those stretch blocks? How are they orchestrating that with the linebackers behind them? Just talk about those fits as, as y'all, uh, when you get, when you face those types of teams. Well, we'll tend to back our backers up a little bit to give our D-line a chance to work. And so the things that we work on in practice with our D-line is we are um, a half-man playing D-line. So, you know, we, we try to not to go down the middle. We try to stay on a shoulder. We try to stay half-man. We try to maintain our gap. And with those zone stretch plays, um, if we can take our inside hand and shove it in the middle of their chest, and if we can get just a little bit of penetration, because like I said earlier, we're more of a vertical type team to get upfield and try to cause a little bit of, um, you know, to, a little bit of penetration there so we yeah, can get in and yeah. run. And so it all starts with reading our keys, and, and that's what we give them um, right off the bat. So if they've got their hand in the ground, uh, you know, most of the times you see the center and guard uh, in a three-point stance. And we're getting to see where we, we see a lot of the tackles are in two-point stances now um, because of all the RPO and all that other stuff. But right. we, we'll read the hand, the elbow area with our down linemen because that has to move before anything else can move. And so if we can stay locked in, read our keys, what we're trying to read that week, and we read, you know, step zone at us, man, we're going to try to punch as hard as we can in the middle and run with it and stay in our gap as best we can. The hardest thing – that I see that young kids do coming up from ninth grade and sophomores is they see that back. It's kind of telling just a little bit and they want to stop and jump back in a different gap. Well, then the next thing you know, he busts front door and he's gone. Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of why we back our backers up a little bit and, and let them flow with it. And um, especially on the zone and stuff, you know, the outside zone and things like that. Are, are your are your linebackers lagging behind and 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 playing cutback, which you know a lot of teams are, are trying to do on stretch plays, is just to get your guys gap removed, and then that, like like you talked about, uh, then, then they can they can cut back. So so how are y'all how are y'all fighting or or, or, or combating uh, the cutback on the stretch play? We'll do that um, because we have our overhang, you know, to the field, our strong safety. Um, that that allows us to do that a little bit. And also our bandit safety that is to the boundary. He's really a free player unblocked and, yeah. and he's got that backside, you know, I would say B to C gap coming back at him. And then our wheel will chase that backside as well. But, you know, it helps having free safety coming downhill with a strong safety with that, you know, that D gap outside contained. And, you know, it depends if our end has a tight end, um, then he'll play a six technique. Uh -huh. He's truly a C-gap player, but when we feel that pressure, we're going to run and try to stretch it as best we can and um, stay in that with him. And we, and we had an end this year that was about 6'5", 220 pounds that's going to the University of Tulsa that was just an animal at it. And so, um, you know, our deal is, is we don't want to get drove, driven off the ball. So if we could push that tight end or keep him even running down the line of scrimmage, that helps a ton with our backers as well. And then they just kind of cloudy clear as they're going through there. Are you, are, so you mentioned playing, you have a three tech and you have a nose. Is your nose playing in a shade or is he in a two eye? How are you playing him? Now we'll play him in a shade if it's a 10 personnel look, but if we get a, you know, a tight end attached to the line of scrimmage, uh, then we'll G him up and get him in a two eye um, just to help get a little closer and close that gap a little bit. Yeah. But typically, um, and, and this year we experimented a little bit. We tilted the nose, um, 
because for the simple fact, you know, on power and the gap scheme stuff, you get a lot of black uh, back blocks. Yeah. And we just yeah. want to blow that center up right. and get penetration on him as best we can. Yeah. And, and I and and I feel if you're tilted a little bit, you're locked in on your key right now. So you know if he's stepping back or if he's going for zone or what he's doing with his steps. And so it worked a little bit for us this year. Um, we'll probably do a little bit more next year because our nose guard probably is going to be 6'1", 265, 270, and then we'll have our big defensive tackle back. It's going to be about 275, 280. So we'll be pretty good size in yeah. there next year yeah. as well. So you talked about how you you know you guys are are a vertical front. You like to get off and get vertical, and I'm assuming that's because of all the outside run that you see. You're trying to make that thing bubble and, and bounce outside and, and 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 cut off those vertical run lanes that you know that that running backs love to hit, especially on that outside run stuff. Uh, so t- talk about the technique of that, and and I'm sure that your guys aren't just running upfield. Uh, to create the, and creating those vertical run lanes, but talk about how you you you, you coach your guys up to be aggressive and, and get penetration, but also play flat down the line. Well, and it's yeah, like you're talking. When we get vertical and we get penetration where we're at, we always kind of teach them hill line. Yeah. So when your heels yeah. get to their hill line, then we're just kind of coming to balance, if you will, looking and seeing what's going on, and then we're we're breaking and it's one of the deals that we do in individual as well as our redirect drills and stuff of that nature. And that's where that comes in. But yeah, yeah if we can get vertical and, and a lot of times too, you know, we, we'll talk about it through the week, but if their gaps are of such their splits, you know, or two foot or whatever, then we're going to get vertical, but we play like broken arrow. They get six inch, you know, splits right there. And so, we know they're not much of an outside team. They're they're more downhill running the ball at you, and so we attack it differently, of course. But when when we get off, we get hill line vertical. We're kind of seeing, and we also, you know, if the back's offset, we know if it's going to be a zone read or if, right. or if it's going to be a outside zone if he's in pistol and and he's behind him and things of that nature. And so, um, but you know, our, like I said, our biggest deal is get vertical as quick as we can come to balance that heel line and kind of see where it's at and go chase the ball from there. You mentioned you guys do a lot of moving around and shifting your front. Is that all stuff that's done pre-snap or is it done at the snap of the ball? And, and how are you communicating that with your guys? Yeah, so we'll well, when we call in our defense, we'll call in the front and then we'll give them two coverages in the back end. So whether it goes for a two-by-two two or a three-by-one, they'll get both calls. and so And then we'll signal the moves in with them as well. And we're a big personnel group. We have been in the past. So, you know, if you're a 10 personnel, we're going to be, you know, our, our 10 personnel out there on defensive line. If you're, you know, 21 personnel or 22 personnel, then we're going to personnel it up with you as well. But, you know, um, that's just uh, with the movement, we try to do it as late as possible. If we're, you know, in an underlook and going to an overlook, uh, that way, because, you know, most of the lines, they make their calls and they, hey, we're deuce to backside, trade a backside or, you know, whatever their calls are on the offensive line. So if we can move late, then most high school kids kind of freak out there at the last second. Yeah. And yeah. that gives the opportunity for us to have a little success getting vertical and getting through where we're going. Yeah. And and, and on the other hand, you know, you know, if you're cross-facing or going, you may line up tighter. You may back up a little bit. There's just things that you can do and cheat that doesn't give it away on film to where you can get your cross space going through there. And so, uh, you know, we look at all different things. How deep is the guard playing? How tight are they playing? You know, and you know, how we want to attack that. Yeah. So, but, yeah, we're trying to move as late as possible. Our linebackers give that call. Our defensive ends get the call to either G it up or, you know, keep them in a shade. And so we got a lot of talking that's going on before the snap of the ball. And so you really have to be locked in. And that's why, you know, you hear a lot of people say, hey, eye on the ball, eye on the ball. Well, we don't teach eye on the ball with our defensive line. We teach eye on your key with the guy that you're lined up on. Yeah. That way you're not – your head's not cockeyed all the way in there and you're looking at something right. and you got to get back to where you're at. So right. that's kind of the things that we do. So we talked about uh, earlier how you guys do like to be multiple and, and, and occasionally we'll jump into three-man front. So talk about how you do that out of your four-man front and how you change that and how you do that. And, and, and are you personnelling that or are you keeping those same guys on the field? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll keep the same guys on the field and, and kind of give you a little bit of what we're looking for. We're looking, you know, as, as our field in, 
we're looking for a guy that's a little stronger, um, that can run, uh, that can play the C-gap and also stretch it. When we come to our nose guard, we're looking for a guy that's that can definitely handle the one-on-one block with the nose and, and you know, is usually here in the past, it's been one of our shorter guys, you know, a 5'10", 5'11", guy that's real strong in the squat and can get underneath you and, and get you back. And then when we go to our defensive tackle, we're looking for a bigger guy there that's a little more athletic, uh, that knows he's going to get double teamed a lot because that's where the bubble's at and that's kind of where the power run to. And so with him, we're looking for a little bigger guy if possible. And then we go to our Viper, which is our boundary end. We're really looking for an athletic guy that's a linebacker type kid that can drop and play in coverage or he can play that boundary end. And so with us, when we get to going from our four-man front to our three-man front, we just kind of slide so our nose now becomes – you know, our shade now becomes a head-up nose. Our three technique now becomes a four or four-eye, how we're going to play. And then our end as well becomes a four or four-eye. You know, it just depends on what we want to do that week. Yeah, yeah. And then our Viper, he's off probably three by three, uh, you know, some somewhere in that neighborhood. And he'll do, uh, you know, we had calls like, you know, if it's an NBA team call like Thunder or Laker or whatever, that will tell him what his coverage is and who he's looking for. Or if we have an NFL team or a West coast team or whatever, it will tell him to blitz or how we're going to do it for that week. And so he's either going to pick up a back or he's going to blitz uh, depending on what we're doing. But, um, and it helps us more with the RPOs getting yeah. in that three man front right. so we can kind of take things away. And so, you know, the one thing that I know that, that kind of hurts us a little bit is being having a smaller end. You'll find some of those teams that'll put that nut tied in over there and run jet sweep and yep. do some other stuff to the boundary. And, you know, from there we just kind of make adjustments with our band of safety. And, and if we have to bump our backers as jets coming or whatever, we just kind of, you know, take care of it that way. But, you know, our Viper has to be a linebacker slash defensive end. And so the guy we had this year, um, is about 6'3", probably 185 pounds, that was a wide receiver two years ago and really didn't have a place. And so, you know, we brought him down as a junior and said, listen, if you'll put on some weight, you'll get going, you'll have a chance. And so he did that his junior year, was a great JV player for us and just blew up over his senior year and ended up becoming a starter for us on defense. And yeah. so, you know, that's the other thing. Just you got to be careful with those young kids and not give up on them too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk about how with, with that guy specifically, your Viper, who you are playing, he can play defensive end with his hand in the dirt or he can play outside backer. How are you handling him in practice as far as, you know, individual stuff? Is he is he full time with 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 defensive ends or is he split time with with uh, with your outside backers? You know, how does he how do you teach him his coverages and things like that? Talk about how you handle him during practice. Well, our, Vi- our Viper stays with us all the time in practice, and, and we'll set up times in our indie groups where we'll meet up with our linebackers. Yeah. Usually our last indie period or two, they'll come over to the dog pound because we've got a turfed area outside the field where we have uh, stationary dummies and things of that nature and the shoots and all that stuff. And they'll come over from time to time, and we'll just walk through coverages, and we'll make calls and just moving the line back and forth. And we'll do that a couple times a week. But for the most part, um, he's with us all week. Uh, doesn't really go down and work with the secondary a lot because we don't ask him to do a whole lot in coverage other than maybe a flat or pick up a wheel route with the yeah. back. And so yeah. uh, we feel we can do that during the week in our periods over there. And so, um, and you know, we when we – talk to him a little bit it's also where the back's at you know if the back's away from you there's a good chance he's not coming across for a wheel rider or something of that nature and so we can play him a little tighter to the line of scrimmage you know and not have to worry about it but um you know we we have a pretty good idea what most teams are going to do against this because you know we there's only 16 of them here in oklahoma that's in 6a division one and so uh, it's a little easier to game plan but you know for the week, he's with us, and we'll have a good game plan if he's going to be blitzing or what he's going to be doing on that or if he's going to be picking up a receiver or, or whatnot. And at times, we, we'll have we'll ask him to choke the tight end um, if it's a nub guy and we don't want him off the line of scrimmage, and that'll kind of free our corner up a little bit as well. Right, so right, right. We, we just do a lot of things with that guy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, what else do, d- determines how you know what what kind of front you're going to be getting in that weekend? Is it something where you can jump in and out of it? You know, at, out of your four down and, and three down throughout the throughout the game? Are you sticking with one primarily for for, for you know uh, a particular opponent? How do you handle that? Well, we can go from um, like I said, a four man to a three man front to a five man front, and typically, if we want to get in the bird look we may take out a safety or a corner in that situation. It just depends on what the receivers are doing. And so when we do that, we'll bring in an extra, you know, D line and we'll get in a better look, whether we're playing, you know, head up nose with threes with five techniques or, you know, if it's a tight end, we'll play six no matter what we're doing. Because I just feel as a six technique, you know, for sure if that tight end is blocking or if he's trying to release. Yeah. And so that, that gives our outside guys a chance to read what's going on right there. And so, yeah, it, it's definitely a week to week. You know, we play again Broken Arrow, and they're a big time run game. I mean, it doesn't matter what they're going to run the football. And so, you know, we can get in the bare front against those guys. Like I said, just by taking one guy out in the back end, um, and it typically you'll go man coverage, or you can play some kind of a, a quarters coverage in the back end back there with those guys, um, and and get after it. Uh, when we go our three man front. Um, the thing I like about it is we can bring just as much pressure with the three-man front as we did with the four-man front. And sometimes right. you got better athletes when we're personnelling those guys out. And so, you know, whether we're going a, a, a nickel or a dime package, um, with our dime package, we'll take the D-line out. We'll bring an extra linebacker in. And, um, you know, we can eat them up that way as well. So I just like how versatile it is. And if we want, like I said, if we want to stay in our four-man package, and that's how we handle it. We just give a bump slide call, and, and we use our end out out there as well. So, so how are uh, how are you uh, able to do this and still th- keep things relatively simple for the guys involved? And, and obviously, you know the Viper is affected, but even the linebackers behind them, where you know if you're sliding now to, to fours or to four eyes, you know those are that makes their fits a little bit different uh, for them, especially in the you know when we're talking about the run game. So talk about how you're able to uh, to keep things consistent and simple for your guys when you're going in and out of these multiple fronts. Well. With, with our guys up front, again, um, you know, we're a gap, gap defense. So, we, you know, we're, we're assigned to this gap, and that's where we're going to go, whether we're, we're cross-facing or getting there. Our backers, and it's one of the biggest assets that we have, is we've got two really, really good inside backers, and they understand what we're doing up front as far as – because they're making all the calls from the sideline for us, our backers are. So they know what's going on. And the thing I love about it is – even if we do mess up up front and we don't go in the right gap, those backers make us right there at the last. And so, uh, you know, we have we have really good linebacker coach that played it at the University of Tulsa and, and uh, you know, works with those guys as far as getting their keys and reading it. But just slowing down and letting things happen. You don't have to go flying in there. You don't have to make every play. Uh, let the D-line work itself out, and you will find that seam or gap we're supposed to get. And so – um, whether they're reading a triangle with the guards, whether they're reading the H-back or whatever we're reading that week, just kind of slow down, let it happen up front, and you will find where your gap's supposed to be. Yeah, to talk about how uh, how you're uh, – you, you mentioned this a little bit, You know, how you when, when you're signaling movements and things, you're tagging that on with the call – how are y'all signaling this stuff in and communicating this stuff to your to your defense? Or are your guys huddling and you're signaling one person or using bands or hand, hand signals? How do, how do you get that information to your kids? Well, when we line up, like I said earlier, we're an over and under front. So wherever the ball's at on the field, our guys know where to go immediately. So we don't, they don't have to get a tight call or a, right. or we call it whatever. So that group's where they're supposed to be and, and the other group that travel. And they all turn and look at the sideline, and we just give the signals from there. And so it's important that during the week that you understand, you know, if we call, if we call um, Michigan, you know, four keeper, then you have to understand what Michigan is, you have to understand what four is, and you have to understand what keeper is. And so take your part. So the D-line gets kind of their first call on it, and then the secondary gets their back-end call of it. And so I tell them all the time up front, once you get your little piece of information, don't worry about the rest of right, it in the back right. end. Don't get, of course. don't get confused. <laughs> of course. And then I'm sure I'm sure that you have a call or you have something built in for to, to, to combat tempo. 
Absolutely. You know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have certain calls that if we know that they're going to tempo, and I think that's what's going to be coming, um, you know, because we wanted this 40-second clock, you'll, you'll start seeing offenses, you know, switching real, real quick and, or trying to just tempo and get going. But, you know, if they get to tempo on us, we'll get in the base defense, and then we'll try to get it signaled into the backers where they can get it going real quick. And, you know, just by formations, we'll know what we want to do that week. But And we also go into each game with about two or three empty calls. And so we just have to give a, you know, a one, two, or three. And so they'll understand what we're going to do if they get empty. And so, um, but for us, getting lined up, whether it's doubles or three by one or empty, um, is something that we rep quite a bit. And, you know, early in the season, we'll do what we call speed ball, where our offense is just going as fast as they can, our defense is going to, you know, getting lined up and playing as fast as we can, and that kind of gets us ready for Friday night as well. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm a, a, a defensive coordinator listening to this and, and I'm and I, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, I'm looking at my, my roster and the guys that I have coming back, and I'm thinking that I might, you know, have the capabilities uh, of maybe, you know, going to, to uh, you know, employing some, multi, some multiple look fronts or, you know, switching from a four down to a three down or vice versa. Uh, sell me on that and tell me why, you know, why it's a good idea. You have already a little bit just in the things that you've talked about, but talk to me about why, you know, that's, that's a good idea and what, why uh, it's really um, necessary and important for defenses to be able to do uh, against today's offenses. Well, just like with most things, if you do the same thing over and over and get lined up the same way, they're going to tear you apart. I mean, I, I see a lot of smaller schools that will do that. They'll come out and they'll be – you know, over front the whole time and they'll run cover three. So just like in your back end, your front end, you want to be as multiple as you could be to make that offense have to work more in practice as you, as they go during the week. So if they know they're going to see three or four different fronts up front and they know they're going to get four or five different twists out of us and they know that they're going to get different blitz out of those twists as well on top of it from a three-man front to a four-man front to possibly even, you know, getting into a bear look or a five-man front. Um, I just think that you have to be as multiple as you can be to make those offenses have to work a little extra harder to get to Friday night. And it allows you to do different things. And, and as you're going during the game, if you find something that's working, well, then stay with it until they get you to get out of it. Just like offense, you know, uh, those, those offensive coordinators, and I was watching ball this weekend, you know, they're not going to hit that little five or six yard route. They want to throw the ball deep all the time, you know, to hit that home run. And so I just think as a defense, you have to be as multiple as you can be up front to get pressure, to stop run game, and then to ultimately work yourself into a pass rush situation. And and that's kind of what we want to try to do at Owasso as well is stop the run, get them in a long situation so we can pin our ears back and get after it, whether that be through stunting, uh, blitzing, or whatever. Yeah, it's great stuff, Coach, and, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that um, it, it seems like, uh, and maybe I'm late to the party here, but it seems like this is something that's fairly new uh, that defenses are doing. Um, I, I, You know, at my previous stop, uh, we were four down front, we were four three, and we had just started kind of toying with, with getting in some, some, some odd front stuff. And um, mm-hmm. and now, it, you know, here where I am now uh, here in Texarkana, I mean, we're, we are extremely multiple. And, and I just love the versatility it gives you and that it seems like you always have an answer no matter what kind of offense you're seeing, what kind of personnel packages you're going to get in. You just have so many tools at your disposal and so many looks that you're able to give. Uh, and, and, and so then, you know, there's really – you have a lot of confidence in being able to stop whatever those offenses throw, there, throw out, throw out uh, at you. Oh, absolutely. And, again, um, just know what your, your kids' strengths are especially up front when you're, you're considering this stuff. If you have athletic guys, uh, you know, big, strong guys, you can probably get in that three-man front and stop the run, you know, and, and do things. But just for us, I, we love the four-man front. Uh, we may have to change this year. Who knows? We'll find out one in the spring. But if we can get vertical and we can cause disruption in the backfield, um, that is a big difference in how our linebackers and safeties and whatnot get to the football. And there's nothing worse than an offensive line when they turn around and see what's going on once we beat them upfield and get to the punch. And so, um, you know, and we rep that stuff all the time in practice. 
Well, and I think it's it's important to, to point out and make sure that people understand uh, that this isn't one of those things where we're running a different defense every week and that we're totally reinventing ourselves uh, every week. You know, each week, you know, you, you have a you have a base structure that you operate out of, and everything everything uh, stems from within that structure. And so it's not like you know every week we're we're, we're throwing out new terms and new terminology, and we're, and we're uh, switching up defenses for the sake of switching up defenses. This is all stemming from uh, a, a sound structure that we have already in place. Right, and we don't change up a lot of our verbiage when we go from a four-man to a three-man right. front. I mean, yeah. it, it, it all sinks in together. Right. I mean, they understand what's going on. And, you know, um, for us, uh, it, it's almost, you know, it's easy to get into prevent with a three-man and just walk the guy off. But, again, we're, there's not very many schools that run a four-man front like we do consistency, consistently. And for them to have to spend all that time in practice changing your blocking assignments, changing your blocking rules, changing your pass protection, that makes it a little more difficult to get ready for somebody in three days. So, uh, again, it goes back to what you are talking about earlier. That's another good reason to be multiple. Just make the offense have to work on it. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, exactly. most of the people that we see are three-man fronts, and most teams can block that in their sleep now. But, like I said, when they play us and maybe one or two other teams, they'll have to – to game plan for four-man fronts, and it makes it a little more difficult, especially when we start putting in all of our twists and all that stuff as well with it. Great stuff, Coach. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, let's let's uh, let's switch gears here as we get ready to uh, to bring this this discussion to a close. And and I know that uh, you've been coaching for a while now, uh, but but you're the kind of guy that's always looking for things and, and learning things. So talk about some something that you learned uh, during this past season. Well, the one thing that that's kind of stayed true is, man, you got to treat those kids, um, you know, the same every day. Be consistent with it. Don't change up. If you've had a bad day, uh, you know, you can't take that out there with you. You have to be the same coach uh, every day with those guys, whether it's good day, bad day in the classroom, parent, email, whatever it is. Uh, just stay consistent with how you coach those guys on a daily basis, and those guys will respond back to it because, trust me, they know if something's different with you or anybody else that's you know on the coaching staff just by the way that you act in practice and and so that's one of the big things i would say that you know staying consistent with what you're doing every day in practice and how you treat those kids and you know uh, coach them hard and then love on them at the end of practice uh, but you know make sure they understand when you go between the white lines it's uh, it's all business nothing's ever personal and, and I think that's one of the hardest things that high school kids have to get past is when you coach them hard, you know, and we tell them all the time, man, don't take it personal. You know, we're just trying to make you better and get after it. And, you know, we get off the field and, and then we'll love on them and, and hang around and, and do all that stuff. But uh, just consistency is one of the things that I've found. If you're going to stay around for a while, you have to do. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's that's so uh, critical for coaches to, 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 to do because, uh, you know, our players need that structure and they need to know what they're getting out of you every day. And, and, and so if you're, if you're hot and cold and high and low one day or the other, and, and they're not really sure what kind of guy they're going to get when they come down to the field house. And that's really that, that, um, inhibits your ability to coach those guys. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And like I said, uh, sometimes those kids are looking for that, you know, that, one little thing that they're not getting, whether it be at home or in the classroom or whatever. And so if we can be that, cause you know, as well as I do from, well, from now until December <laughs> with especially the way off seasons go now and summer workouts in the season, we spend probably as much, if not more times than a lot of parents do with those kids. And so, uh, you know, they get to know us really well. And I, I just think the way you, that you treat them and, and, and all that it makes a big difference in those kids' life as they're going forward, as it did with me. And, and and I'm just telling you, as coaches, those kids are watching you every day to see how you're handling things, and you are making an influence whether you're meaning to or not. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, Coach. Well, I want to throw you a little bit of a curveball here uh, okay. because we are, we are talking uh, to a lot of coaches uh, over the next few weeks who, who won state championships this past season. So I want you to think back. Uh, to that that day, uh, this past season uh, in 2000, this 19 season when you when you guys won it all, 
And I want you to just think about, you know, from the time you woke up through through you know, getting ready for the game and when the, when the game was over and and all the things that went that were involved in that day. When you're uh, when when you're 20 years from now and you're looking back on that day, what are some things or some moments, some 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 parts of that day that you'll always remember? Well, man, any time that you're getting ready for a game like that, especially as a coach, for me, because like I said, it was our second one, is that I was still so focused in on what we were going to do um, and how we were going to react and, and, and our kids, because we had to travel for the state championship this year. They made it to central location, which ended up being a pretty good deal. But, you know, just looking at those kids um, and, and how they go about their business, um Man, it, that's that's a tough question because, you know, as a coach, you're so wrapped up in what's going on during the game and before then that because I set up all the video equipment and all that stuff before the game. But the thing that I'll remember the most is just looking at those guys as the time's winding down and, you know, you know that you're going to be a state champion forever and you see that kid that maybe didn't have a very big part in the role but was just as excited as those guys that were on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's a big deal. And I just this year, I, I just kind of sat back a little bit and just watched those guys celebrate and run out there and, uh, you know, just enjoying themselves. And that's I think that's one of the things I'll take from, you know, when I look back is like, uh, man, it was such a grind for 17 and 19. And all of a sudden it all comes to the end that day. Yeah. And but you're sitting there looking at those kids and like dude, they're going to be champions for the rest of their life yep. regardless. Yeah. And they get to put their 2019 on the press box and they get to order their rings and all the stuff that goes with being a champion. But more importantly, I hope that there are dudes that come back one day and say, hey, you know, I remember when you said this and I remember when you said this. And so uh, those are some of the things that I hope that, that I remember and, and things of that nature when, when I go back and look yeah. at it. Yeah, it's great stuff, Coach. And it's, it's so um... – it's so rewarding for, for your hard work to pay off and to see, you know, the kids enjoying themselves and, and knowing that that's something that no one will ever be able to take away from them. They left their lasting impact and legacy on their program, on the program, and that you had a small part in that. That's that's, uh, that's an awesome feeling for sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, Coach, we are we're, we're we're closing out our episodes by giving uh, our, our guests an opportunity to shout out some uh, coaches who may not always get the spotlight or the credit, but are doing or have done an outstanding job coaching up those guys up front. So uh, close us out with some shout-outs of coaches that, that you think are doing a great job. Well, there's a few coaches that I kind of look up to, and, and the one of them is Tyler Cade. I mean, he was the D-line coach and I was assistant D-line coach when I come to Broken Arrow. He had G8 at OU and, and some other places at UCO. But that guy um, – fed into me, taught me a lot of stuff about the D line and dude is just, he, he's absolutely one of the best, uh, you know, Jeff Brown over at unions, another guy that I kind of look up to, but I'll be honest with you. Probably the guy that I look up to the most is the guy that helps me. And his name is Gary LaBasse. He's 70, I think getting ready to be 71. He's a Vietnam vet with a purple heart, uh, retired back in 2002, but has come back since the last few years and just kind of been a, a late coach with us and to see a guy that's 70 years still gets after it is in great shape loves being around the kids he, you know he just feeds into them and and just to watch him still be coaching at that age being through what he's been through in his life i mean i just sit back sometimes and i'm thinking dude i hope i can just walk when i'm 70 yeah and yeah. you know coach labas does such a great job and you know um, I, I hope he's out there with us for, you know, a few more years, but he's a guy that I, I just think, man, he didn't have to be out there with us. You know, he, he got wounded in Vietnam and got the purple heart and all that stuff. And, and it's just a great blessing for our football staff for him to be out there and our kids to be a part of it. And so he's the one I'd like to give a big shout out to. He's a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, coach, uh, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us. And I really, really appreciate you sharing things with us and, and, and talking up uh, the, the great things you guys have going on over there at Owasso. So I just want to wish you good luck this offseason and, and a successful uh, 2020 season as well. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And like I said, you know, this is a big old family. And if anybody ever needs anything, if I can help, you know, I'm out there on Twitter at, at Coach Croft. Just 
give a call. I, I, I don't mind telling you what I know, which isn't a lot. I listen to your podcast and I pick up stuff. And so uh, I think we're all in this business to keep on learning and, and getting better. And I appreciate what you're doing with this. Thanks once again to Coach Croft for talking with us today. I had a great time talking with him and, and hope you learned a lot from the things he had to say. Make sure you follow Coach Croft on Twitter at Coach Croft or shoot him an email at paul.croft at owassops.org. If you missed any of that, don't worry. You can find all of his contact information and more in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you go check that out. Our quote of the day, which, which, which by the way, these aren't just random quotes that I pluck off the internet. Uh, these are quotes that are provided by the guests of this show and, and quotes that mean something to them. So Coach Croft submitted this quote for today, and it is, don't ever let the pressure exceed the pleasure. And that will do it for us today. Make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're liking what you're hearing and tell your coaching buddies about us and help us spread the word about this podcast. So we'll be back next Monday with episode number 45. Until then, enjoy your week. Be a difference maker in the lives of your kids. And of course, y'all know what's up. You better keep your pads down.